um, today, John chapter 6. We're going to be finishing off John chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be blowing through the rest of the chapter. It's quite a long passage. Um, I am completely to blame for that because in putting together this series on John, I broke it down into sections and, and worked it out how we could do it through the year, but I missed out a section. And only when going back through it, I suddenly realised, oh darn, there's like 10 verses I haven't accounted for. So they've been put into this preach. Um, so this one is quite a long passage, um, but we will cope. What we're going to talk about today is bread, which I have here. But if you notice, both my sons stole some of it. My visual illustration, luckily there is plenty of other um, bread there. Now, apparently in the UK, we eat on average 37 kilograms... 37 kilograms of bread a year. White bread accounts for about three quarters of our purchases when we're we're talking about buying bread. It's one of our favourite foods. 99% of households, which I think is their basic way of saying practically everybody, buys bread or the equivalent. There are nearly 12 million, 12 million loaves sold every day. 12 million loaves of bread every day. Men apparently eat much more bread than women. Um, 44% of men eat bread twice a day. <laughs> Two guys over there nodding. Yeah, so basically half the men in their room eat bread twice a day. Okay. Um, white bread accounts for three quarters of the bread um, sold in the UK. Also, here's an interesting fact, there are 200 different kinds of bread produced in Ukraine. 200 different kinds. From butter-rich brioche, crisp baguettes, Farmhouse loaves, a word beginning with F that I cannot pronounce, soft ciabatta, crumpets, chapatis, and fleeky croissants. Someone went berserk there with the adjectives, but basically all those things uh, we bought that. And sandwiches total about 50% of our bread consumption we have a day. So bread is an important part of our life. It's an important part of our, our diet. And if we even review kind of around the world, it's a staple of the diet of most of the world's population who will eat bread in some sort every day. And what we're going to be looking at and what Jesus is talking about is this topic of bread. The recap where we've got to, chapters 5, 6 and 7, we said in John's Gospel, show the rising opposition to Jesus. He's, he's performing miracles, he's teaching, and the opposition to him is ratcheting up, cranking up with each kind of passing day, passing moment. Last week, um, at the beginning of chapter 6, we... Um, Joe, uh, Joe talked, spoke about feeding the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. So we've had him multiplying food, which involved bread, loaves and fishes. He multiplied that and fed that. Then after that, he crossed over the Sea of Capernaum, uh, sea, uh, sorry, Galilee to Capernaum uh, by walking on water. And then what we're going to look at today, basically, is the outcome, kind of the aftermath of what he did. He performed a miracle, one of his most famous miracles, multiplying, feeding such a large crowd. In the other Gospels, it's actually recorded, he did it again, he did it on another occasion. So this is what Jesus is known for. So let's read Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 22, and we're going to go to the end. (laughs) What did I say, Matthew? Oh, darn. Yeah, I meant John. Who's in Matthew? None of you. That's good. That was good. That was a test. Well done. You passed, Charlie. Okay, John uh, 6.22. Here we go. On the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea, saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got in the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi... When did you come here? 
Jesus answered to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're, not seeking, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labour for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that is given to me, but raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I came down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourself. No one can come to me unless the Father sent him draws me. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the words is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread you fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offence at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning that who's, who's those who, were, who, sorry, who those were who would not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. 
After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, but one of the twelve was going to betray him. Okay, long passage, lots in there. Let's see if we can break it down. In this passage, the kind of the key there, Jesus claims to be the bread of life. He does it twice. And uh, the crowd responded in a bit of a similar way to the woman in the well when he said to her in chapter 4, it was, about this water. Her, her response was, give me it to me. And the crowd's response is similar. Oh, you're the bread and we want to eat this bread. This, is, this sounds good. They misunderstand. They think, they're thinking of natural bread. This is what they're thinking of. Well, give it to us. We'll eat it just like they've had the, the bread that he's multiplied, they've eaten food. But Jesus explains in this passage what that actually means. And he uses the phrase, truly, truly, and it comes up four times in that passage. And he's used it already in John, we've seen it a number of times. And it's his, his way of the author and Jesus underlining what he's saying. This is important, what I'm about to speak to you. Truly, truly. And four times in this passage, Jesus is saying, truly, truly, take these words seriously. This is important stuff for you to grasp. Now, a little bit of background before we get into what Jesus said, and it's this story of the manna in the wilderness, which is alluded to a couple of times, which you can find in Exodus chapter 16, if you want to go and read it. And the story is that in the history of Israel, you have the exodus from Egypt. When Egypt were a mighty nation, Jacob's 12 sons had gone down to Egypt. They had multiplied into a nation. But under Pharaoh, they had become slaves. So you have this nation Israel in slavery and then God says Moses and you have the films, the Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt which explain this, you have the plagues, let my people go, no, let my people go, no, etc, etc. The people come out of Egypt, uh, Red Sea, they are, they are redeemed, they are brought out of slavery, they are now the people of God and God says go and worship me on the mountain. Moses leads them there, uh, the, the, the army of Egypt is destroyed in the Red Sea, and they are free, and they are now God's people, and God is going to take them to the Promised Land. But before he gets to there, he needs to feed them. There's an awful lot of people. Some people, commentators say, it's like almost a million of them. So they need to be fed. So God provides from heaven supernatural bread every day, and they call it manna. So we get the term. You often hear that manna from heaven. Uh, you often use in you know in secular settings, but it's it's what he says. And so, but manna comes every day, and the Lord commands them. Okay, there's Bread is going to come into the camp, it's just going to appear. Uh, you, you, you go out in the morning, you collect as much as you need for the day, and then you can eat it uh, for that day. And then the next day, uh, you can do the same. You can collect it every day. The only difference is on the day before the Sabbath, where you collect twice as much, because then you've got enough for the Sabbath, and you don't have to go out and work and get it. You keep it. And that's what he did. And he did that continually for the Israelites until they got to the Promised Land, which was like 40 years. And so... Um, he was providing for them supernatural bread. And this was a key thing in the history of Israel. God provided for his people. He provided food for them to eat. And it kind of comes up uh, in the, the, the story where they reference it and Jesus reference it. Um, and Jesus now is himself. Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus comes and he has provided bread for people in the wilderness. He's taken that small amount and he's provided it. And he's provided uh, food for the people. And they now want to follow him because of that miracle. Um, Food would not have been easy to get hold of at that day, at that time. They had to grow it or barter for it or something or provide it. They didn't have supermarkets like we do. Food was hard to come by. So if you've got some guy who can provide you with oodles of food, 
like that, he's worth following because you know you're never going to be hungry and he's always going to provide. And in the story of the feeding the 5,000, there was more left over than he started with. So you know you're going to have plenty to eat and so there would have been a great response to him. But one of the other themes of John is that the shallow response to miracles is unacceptable. People see Jesus doing things and they're like, yeah, he's great. He just does all these wonderful signs. Let's follow him. And Jesus just will not have that. It's got to be a genuine response of faith. He's not going to settle for shallow things. The, the Bible calls them, and John calls them signs. They point somewhere. Jesus performed a sign. It's got to point somewhere. There is a greater reality behind the actual miracle itself. As amazing that, that is, there's something behind it, something that it's pointing to. And Jesus is now going to explain what has happened previously. So I want to look at four things. What does it mean for Jesus to be the bread of life? What does it mean for Jesus to be the bread of life? Number one, it's about faith in him. Verse 29 says, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. They asked him, what's this work we've got to do? You believe in him who he sent. The work of God is to believe, have faith and trust in Jesus. It's not about actual bread, even though that's what they'd eaten and that's what he was doing, the picture he was using. It was about belief and faith in an actual person, the person of Jesus Christ. He said, actually, the eating of the bread for the Israelites in the wilderness didn't require much faith. It was just there. They went and collected it. In the feeding of the 5,000, it didn't require a lot of faith. They just, the disciples kind of went and passed it out. You had to sit down in your groups. You got food, you ate it. But actually, what Jesus says, what the works are, what you are called to do, what it means for me to be the bread of life is for you to believe and trust in me. Jesus is saying, I want something more from you than just eating. Just eating food. It's got to be something bigger, something that. And Jesus questions their motives. He's saying, why are you, kind of, why are you following me? Are you just coming after me for food? Verse 26, he says, that's it. all you want is food out of me. That's why you're here. You're not, there's no belief and trust in me. It's just I'm providing for you and that's, that's what you're going to do. Um, and Jesus is saying, is, I'm not here to provide you with food. I am the food. I'm not here to provide you with something that you can just you eat. I'm the one that you should be coming to. <clears throat> and he, he rebukes them for that. He says, no, your thinking's wrong. Just like the woman at the well, who immediately was, just give me this drink to drink. They're sitting by a well of water. Give me this water. And they're saying, give me the throne. He's saying, it's not like that. It's beyond that. And Jesus says, you've actually seen me and you've seen me do things, yet you still don't believe in me. You still don't. You've had it paraded in front of you and you still don't believe. And Jesus is saying, I want you to trust in me. Not what I do, not what I can do or what I do for you, but me as a person. And what it delves to is the heart of the Christian faith, that we are called to believe in an individual. We're called to believe in a person. And this person is God. We're called to, to believe in God and it is revealed to us in Christ. Christ is the revelation of God that has been presented to us and we are to believe and have faith and trust in him. Not his works or act activities, not necessarily what he does, but himself. And we can't work our way to God because that's what the people are. They said, tell us what works we have to do. Tell us what our works. So we've got to go and do. Tell us, and Jesus says, the works you've got to do is have faith and trust in me. That's the work, to have belief, to have faith and trust in him. And so we, as we are to put our faith and trust in a person, it's not about um, a pattern of life, it's not about a set of rules, it's not something we've got to work our way through, work off our karmic debt, or anything like that. We put our faith and trust in a person, and this person is revealed in Christ. God himself came to earth as a man, that man, Jesus Christ. 
Some people say things like, oh, Jesus didn't claim to be God. Well, there's only one problem with that, the Bible, because Jesus very clearly claimed to be God, demonstrated God, put himself on a par with God. I am the Father of one. Even using the phrase, I am, points back to Exodus when God revealed himself to Moses. Who are you, God said? I am, God said, or I am who I am. But he identified, so Jesus identified himself with God. So Jesus came to earth as God. He was God, the man. He lived a perfect life. A life that we could never live. A life that was way beyond us. Sinless, the Bible said. Even his enemies couldn't find anything to kind of stick to him. Because he was beyond that. He then died in our place for our sins. Took the punishment that we deserved. Which was horrific enough. And he rose from death victorious. We looked last week at Easter Sunday. And he now rules and reigns in heaven forever over everything. All kingdoms and dominions, everything bows before him. Everything is under his feet. And that is who we are to have faith and trust in. We're to have faith in who he is and what he's done for us, not what we do for him. That's what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life. Our faith and trust is committed solely to him and not anything else. The second thing about this bread, it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. The presence of Jesus in the world is a gift. It's something God has given to us. It says in verse 51, it says, I came down from heaven. I've come from above. I've come from somewhere you can't get to. You can't even see. That's where I've come down from. And it's not something we've deserved or something we've earned. It's something that has been freely given to us. It even says when he talks about the manna in the desert, they point to Moses as their great kind of, you know, guy they revere, their sort of their hero. They say, Moses provided us with manna in the wilderness. And Jesus is like, duh. God provided that. Behind Moses was God's activity. You look at Moses, actually behind that, God was the one who provided the manna in the wilderness. It's all about him and what he's given to you. Jesus uses a language that actually you can't come to God unless he draws you. That's what he says. It's verse 37, verse 34. It says, uh, 44, sorry. He draws you to himself and you can't come to him any other way. The word the Bible uses is grace. The grace of God, as it were, the unmerited favour of God has been put on people because they couldn't get it for themselves. It's a gift. This doesn't actually remove any responsibility from us. We still have to put our faith and trust in Christ. and We have a responsibility in there, but ultimately God is the one who's at work. God is the one who draws us. God is the one who has given us a gift. And this for us as believers is a wonderful source of joy and thankfulness because we know as a gift... It's been given to us, which means we can't earn it, but also means we can't lose it. It's been given. It's a freely given gift to us. And for us, we, we, we overcome, overcome with thankfulness and wonder and worship of God that he has given us something that, that we needed, salvation, life in him, forgiveness, all these amazing things. But actually, they were given freely to us. We didn't earn it, and we can't lose it. And we, as a people need to be the most thankful people on the planet. It says that, I think it's Thessalonians, isn't it? Give thanks in all circumstances, it says. Give thanks. We should be the most thankful people. We give thanks for everything. We give thanks for our material provisions. That's probably quite easy on a day-to-day basis, just thanking for the food we have and the house we live in, the job and all these kind of things. But actually beyond that, what God has done for us in Christ, that we are now forgiven. Dwell on that. We, we have the forgiveness of God for all the things we've done. And will do. That's really quite scary, isn't it? The things I'm going to do next week are really bad things. We have forgiveness in Christ for that. 
We have his righteousness and his holiness on us that we can approach boldly the throne of God and make requests of the creator of heaven and earth because he has made a way for us. We can do that. We are free from wrath and condemnation. (coughs) We are not guilty. These are wonderful things to thank God for and, and praise him on a regular basis. The third one, it's about relationship. It's about relationship. He talks, Jesus, when he talks about hunger and thirst, he talks about it in a present kind of continuous way. You're not going to hunger, you're not going to thirst. It's something that is ongoing. We eat regularly, we eat every day. We continue. The reason we do it is because we get hungry, we get thirsty, we need to keep doing it. It's something that is part of our life, you know, three meals a day, or maybe four or five. Um, you know, if you count the snacks, but we need to keep eating, we need to keep going, because otherwise it would be detrimental with us. And Jesus uses the same language to talk about himself. Having faith in Jesus is an ongoing thing. It's not a one-off commitment you make. I made it when I was a child, I made it when I was a teenager at that camp when I put my hand up and it was all emotional music and I cried. You know, it's an ongoing thing, day by day, that we are to invest in, just like any relationship. Any relationship you have with a friend, with your parents, with a sibling, with a spouse, with your children, you have to build on it day by day or it goes cold and it, it, kind, of, it kind of ends. You fritter away to nothing if you haven't spoken to someone or been with them for a long time. And Jesus is saying you need to eat and drink of me daily. And this relationship needs to be a close one, he's saying. The image he uses is really quite graphic. At the end, in, verse, in verse 53 and verse 55, he talks about eating and drinking flesh, which is a bit like, mm. but the point he's getting at is how close and personal it is, how intimate it is, how connected it is. God doesn't want a relationship with you in a distance, removed, cold way, like a stern father who's in the distance that you know is there, but it's not really going to kind of talk to you much and he looks down on you. He wants that intimate relationship. And Jesus even modeled that. Um, with, his, with his followers, he had the 12, but he had others, uh, ladies and other men who followed him around, and they kind of, they lived with him, they saw him, they ate with him, they would have laughed with him, they would have cried with him, they would have been with him all the time. And I don't know if you realise, the best way to get to know someone is to live with them or spend extended amounts of time with them, because that's when you really get to know them, you really get to understand them, you really, all the things that are hidden in this context, we all look nice and presentable, we all look well-groomed, most of us, you know, and we can kind of put on a face, but then when you get into a house with someone, you live with them for an extended period of time, it all comes out, you see them first thing in the morning, and you're like, ah, what is that, oh, good morning, you know, and you go through these things and you see the habits and you, you find out where they leave their dirty socks and the things they do and, and all this kind of thing. And Jesus would have lived that with his followers. And it's a picture for us. That's the kind of relationship he wants with us. The word that we find that will come up again in John is this word abide. And we'll find it in John 15 where it talks about um, Jesus being the vine and the branches and us abiding in him. And I think it even comes up in here. He uses that word abide. And it's that connection. It's that It's that relationship with Jesus which is the important thing, the foundation of it. And for us, um, as a church, we put it in our purpose statement here. We believe real life is having a relationship with Jesus. That's where it begins. That's the start. Everything else that comes out of it, following his model, changing the world, that's all great. But it has to begin with a relationship with him. It has to begin with a continual daily commitment with him that is ongoing, that we, that we, we, we commit ourselves to working at. 
It's done through Bible reading and prayer is our kind of, that's what we start with. We have a life of prayer. We have a life of studying the scriptures daily. We're encouraging you um, as we go through John to read it yourself. Read it slowly, read it quickly. Read a commentary alongside it. Do whatever, but get into it. But you're building a relationship with God, with Jesus through that. It's also worth noting there is an allusion, obviously with the the, the eating the flesh, drinking the blood, to um, what Christians call the communion or the Eucharist or the bread and the wine, uh, which is one of two things Jesus asked his followers to do. He asked his followers to get baptised. That was one mark. Do that once when when you become a Christian. And then the continual thing is to share bread and wine together, uh, remembering his death, uh, remembering his resurrection, remembering that he will one day return again for his bride. And so that's also linked in there. But the key underneath it is a relationship with Jesus. And what I want guys, you guys to do in your life groups this week is to share bread and wine together. Uh, we, are, we ask the, the life groups to do it regularly, as regularly as they can. Share it with a meal. Share it after dinner. I don't mind. But share it. Take time to actually eat bread, drink wine together, or a non-alcoholic equivalent if you prefer, which I do. Um, and, and talk about how it's going with Jesus. How's your relationship with Jesus? Because it's, part, it's a key to who we are. Because if we haven't got a relationship with Jesus, everything that's built on that doesn't matter. So I'd love you guys to do that in your life groups this week. The fourth thing, last thing, what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life is what it results in. And what does it result in? Eternal life. Jesus says, do not work for food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life. That's verse 27. It says, um, no one will come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and he will raise him up on the last day. That's again an allusion to eternal life. Verse 44, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 40, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 47, the result of our relationship with Jesus is life in him now and life in him for the future, forever. There is something beyond what we see and hear now. There is something beyond this life. This life is not all there is. Don't believe the lie. Everything in the media will try and tell you it's all about here, it's all about now. It's be- there's something beyond and it is greater what is beyond than what is now. One of the images the Bible uses for our life, it describes, it says, you are like the dew that comes in the morning on the grass and is gone in the morning. Like that. The dew that comes in the morning and is gone in the That's your life. You're here, you blink, you're gone. And there is something that much greater on. The Bible describes this world as just like a garment that's going to be wrapped up and thrown away and what's going to come after it is going to be better and last for eternity. It's a theme of the Gospel. The most famous verse in the Gospel, probably in the Bible, for God so loved the world, that he gave us one and only son, that whoever believes in would not perish, but have what? Eternal life beyond what we have here. That's the point of it. The Christian hope is that one day this world will pass away because it's broken and it needs fixing and it will be transformed and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and we will dwell on that and there'll be no more sickness and no more pain and no more suffering and no more tears and we will be with God forever and we will see him face to face. And it's one of the the things that fortifies us as Christians that we can keep going in this world because there is something greater beyond. But that is what it means to have faith in Jesus to have a relationship with him, which one day will result in life with him uh, forever. Now, of course, when you put these things out, there are always reactions, and there are reactions to Jesus. And in this passage, we see reactions to Jesus. 
We have uh, the reactions where people say, they have a kind of a natural reaction where they say things like, who is this bloke going on about coming down from heaven? Isn't this just Mary and Joseph's son? People can react to Jesus and just say, he's just a man. He was just a guy. Public opinion turned against him. They killed him. Oh, that's a shame. But he said some nice stuff. Good moral teacher. You know, he said some good things, and so, you know, that's all right. But they just react and dismiss him off. He was just one of those other gurus that we can read his teaching. Other people just misunderstand him. They, they listen to some of these things, and they're just like, they just don't get it. It said they dismuted among themselves. Someone said, how can we eat this guy's flesh? We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to gnaw at him or something? There's only so much to go round. You know, this guy, there's a lot of us. They misunderstand him, and they don't bother to kind of, pursue and, and find out what he's actually talking about and they dismiss it and think, oh, it just sounds like, it just sounds silly what he's talking about. I'm not going to be there. Some people take offence. Jesus said that in his disciples, didn't he? He said, are you taking offence at what I said? Some people are offended by the things Jesus said and they don't push through and actually thinking, who's the person saying it? Why is he saying it? What right does he have to say these things in my life? They take offence at it, they hear one thing and they just dismiss Jesus and think, oh, no, I don't want anything more to do with him. Other people, it's just out of sheer disobedience. So there are some who do not believe. Jesus said, you're to believe in me. I'm God. I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who created everything. I rule and reign over all these things. I have a right to command you in, in, to do things. And they just say, no, I'm not interested. I want to go my own way. Uh, they, they commit the same sin Adam and Eve committed in the garden. We don't want you in charge, God. We want to be in charge, and they live their life that. Who do you think you are, God? Who do you think you are to tell us how to live our life? And so there is the reaction of rejection, where they just say, no, I don't want to do anything else. There's another reaction as well. We can, we can reject God out of self-righteous motives. We can say things, well, God, that's fine, but we're going to earn our own way of you. We don't want to look to you, and we don't want to recognise it's a gift from you. We're going to try and earn your favour. We're going to put our own moral code in place and we're going to try and stick up to it and try and earn our way to you, a self-righteous religious life, which Jesus had plenty of negative things to say about it. But they all culminate in just rejecting Jesus, rejecting his message. And the last thing you can do is you can accept what he says. You can reject him or you can accept him. And Peter, it's always Peter, isn't it, who speaks up, says this in verse 68, when Jesus said to him, In the midst of all this, people are saying, no, I don't want anything to do with you. Hard teaching. Jesus says to Peter, so um, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to leave? And Peter responds, to whom shall we go? You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One of God. Peter had seen something. Peter had been with Jesus. He had seen the miracles, just like others. He had walked with him. And in the face of this teaching, Jesus is saying, this is what it means to be my follower, to have faith and trust in me, have a relationship with me, to be intimately involved in me. Jesus, Peter says to him, where else can we go? We can run over here and try and create our own success in our career, Uh, in our family, in our life. We could try and make it on our own. We could try and do it our own. We could reject all moral codes and just try and live a life of kind of hedonistic pleasure and delight and say, we're going to do this. We're just going to 
we're just going to you know, fill ourselves with as much pleasure and fun as we can before the end comes. We're just going to not be interested. And what he says to Peter, what are you going to do? And he says, well, where do I want to go? Where can I go? I can go over there. That results in nothing, emptiness. We'll go over there. That results ultimately in nothing, emptiness. You are the one who has the words of eternal life, Lord. You are the Holy One of God. You are the one that we can put our faith and trust in because only you are the one who is worthy. You're the only one who's going to last. You're the only one who is going to um, be good for us and provide eternal life. He saw it out of all of those things. So what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life um, for us is for us to put our faith and trust in him completely above everything else. To recognise it's ultimately a gift from him. We have a responsibility the Bible's very clear on that. But behind all that, it says even in Ephesians, it says even our faith is a gift from God, which is wonderful. You put your faith and trust in him, behind it all is a sovereign act of God saying, I've given you that gift, that faith. We're to have a relationship that we pursue wholeheartedly, as intimate and as closely as we can, and recognising at the end of it all, we have eternal life to look forward to. We have eternal life to experience now, but ultimately when it is all wound up together, when this world passes away and torn up and thrown out, we will be with him forever. A couple of points of application for us and then I will finish and hand over to the guys who are leading our worship. The first one, come and praise and worship Jesus now. If I haven't given you reason to praise God and to thank God right here, right now, in this room, I haven't done my job well enough. But there is much to praise and thank God now. Let's give ourselves to him. Let's praise him together. We'll sing songs. Praise him in your own way, in your own heart. There might be things in your life right now that are personal to you and you think, I just, I'm going to thank him now. No one else will know, no one else will hear, but do you know what? I'm going to thank him. I'm going to give him praise. I'm going to worship him. If you know there are things in your life that you think, I need to sort that out, I need to put that right, there's things that have been poked by the Holy Spirit even as we've been talking today and you've been thinking, just put them right before God. He's dealt with it all. The, the sin has been dealt with. The job is done. You don't have to do anything. What are the works? It says, believe and trust in me. One of the things you believe and trust in is the cross was sufficient for you. The cross was sufficient for you. It paid for your sins. You don't have to pay for them. You can just seek forgiveness, deal with that with God, say, God, I want to get right with you. I want to deal with you. I want to move on. This week in your life groups, please make a point of that. I'd love you to share bread and wine together. However you want to do it, however your leaders say, you want to do it over a meal, during the meal, after the meal, and look to do that often. Make that a point of your life groups. Actually, we're going to share bread and wine together, and in doing so, remember Christ's death, his resurrection, and his future coming, his return for us. That's what Jesus asked us to do. And talk about your relationships with him. It's a question that I'd love to become common in the life of our church. You can do it in your life groups, but even when you're just meeting with them, how is your relationship with Jesus? When was the last time someone genuinely asked you that and then sat and listened to the answer? When was the last time you asked someone? How is your relationship with Jesus right now? How's it going? How are you doing? Because if that's the key, if that's the important thing, if that's what's, the, what's underneath everything, having a relationship with our Saviour, it should be the thing that gets the most priority in our lives and what we talk about. That should be up there with how's it going, not how's work going. That's a standard bloke question. I don't know what girls do, but blokes, how's the job? You know, how's work? How's the boss? You know, that's what we talk about. Then we move on to football or something like that. You know. But actually, let's try something else. 
it'll probably floor someone when you say it, but it, it, if you do it enough, you get used to it. Do you know what I mean? But let's try that. Our, our relationship with Jesus is, is number one in our life. And we need to kind of talk into that. So let's make that part of our life. Maybe you can talk about life groups this week, but if you meet people socially, you're out for a walk, you're having a drink together, ask them the question, and let's change our culture in the church. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand up. The band want to come get ready? Let's worship Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to worship. Oh dear. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the bread of life. Lord, just like bread is something that, we, that is, re- is there all the time, it's just, it's just there in our life. Any food shop we go to, there's bread. We eat it kind of every day. It's just it's there. It's who our Lord. You should be like that in our life. You're the one that we come to regularly. You're the one that sustains us. You're the one who keeps us going, who nourishes us, Lord God. And I want to thank you for the gift that you are to us. Lord God, I want to thank you that you came down from heaven and saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. (laughs) When we were lost and broken and away, you came and transformed us. Lord, I thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection, your ruling and reigning right now, Jesus. Lord, and I ask today, God, my heart's desire is to have a closer relationship with you. My heart's desire is to have a more intimate relationship with you, God. And I ask by your spirit today, you would enable that in our lives. You would enable us to overcome our own insecurities, to be able to connect with you at a deeper level, but also to talk about it with others, <laughs> to go beyond the kind of a surface level bit of Britishness we have that kind of pervades us, Lord, but actually be able to push deeper into you. Lord, I thank you that beyond that, our future is secure in you, that we have life together with you forever to look forward to. That is a wonderful thing, Lord Jesus. Lord God, we thank you that you purchased that at the cross and we live in the light of that now. Yeah, Lord, we want to say we love you.